Good morning. That was better than the first service. I gave him a B minus. I'll give you an A minus. Can we go for an A plus answer? Can we do that? Good morning. Oh, A plus plus. All right. Extra credit. Good job. I think I know most of you. I think maybe most of you know me too. My name is Matthew Nicosia. I'm the director of the VBC Kids Ministry, our children's ministry here at Valley Bible Church. And it's an honor and a privilege to serve alongside of you. And I served alongside many of you this past Monday night on Halloween night. And I think Valley Bible Church and the love of Jesus Christ shined brighter than any darkness that was out there on Halloween night. Yes. So I, I applaud you. I, I just want to tell you thank you so much. It's a joy and a privilege to serve alongside of you. And together we could be co-laborers for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to tell you thank you. Why don't we start before we open the scriptures. Let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is your word. This is the most unique book. Your word, the Bible, is the most unique book in all of the world. It's the only book that I'm aware of that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, we're asking for a unique ministry from your spirit this morning to fill our hearts and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law today. And we commit ourselves to you as we just sang. Uh, we stand in awe of the one who gave it all. Uh, so here we are, we stand, all we have and all we are is yours. And so we offer our minds and hearts to you today and ask that you'd minister and transform us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our central text this morning will be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Go ahead and turn there if you would, please. Hope you're all very awake you have no excuses, you got an extra hour of sleep last night, and so I hope that you're ready to hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> I guess it's kind of lucky to preach on the extra night of sleep Sunday. I like that. Well, the title of our series that we've been in uh, recently with uh, our pastor Larry Howard and pastor Phil Howard have set the table so far, and we've talked about doing life God's way, doing life, your life. God's way, not your own way, not the world's way, not Satan's way, but God's way. And we've tried to summarize that in some helpful terms for you that start with the letter T to make it memorable, hopefully, for you. And we've seen how God has, has called us to live a life in a way that honors Him with our temple. And our bodies are, are like a temple of God. The, when we come together, we're all the temple of God, but individually, our bodies are like temples where God resides, and so He's asked us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. We've also heard that our time belongs to the Lord. We're all given the same amount of time, but we've all been given the opportunity to use our time either for ourselves or for the glory of God, doing life God's way as it relates to our time. And then the last two weeks, we've heard from our pastor, Phil Howard, how to use your talents, your spiritual gifting, and the natural abilities that God has created you with in order to serve Him and give Him glory. And so, we just sang it, and I hope you meant it, all I am is yours. Every aspect of our lives belongs to God, and we want to do life in a way that honors Him. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about another aspect of our lives, and that's our treasure. Another T word, treasure. Hopefully that helps you remember. 
And so this morning we're going to talk about what is it that Jesus wants us to do with the treasure that he's put in our hands, our treasure. And we'll see in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, that Jesus answers three specific questions about what he commands us to do with our treasure, and indeed the things that we, he wants us to do with our treasure so that it will bless us as a grace in our lives. But in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, we find a little snippet of a sermon, uh, really probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, a marvelous sermon. And and the preface to that sermon, I believe, is found in in chapter 4 of Matthew in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus was preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Now, often we don't think that the gospel is associated with kingdom, but that's how Jesus preached it. That's how John the Baptist preached it. He said a kingdom is coming, and Jesus is that king, and so he was preaching the good news that the king had come. And now we get in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we get to see what Jesus is telling his disciples, those who are following him, and those who are beginning to acknowledge in their hearts and in their minds, this really is the one true king, this Messiah who's come to us. And so Jesus delivers a message of what it looks like to live according to this kingdom. So really, in the whole context of our series, we've been talking about doing life God's way. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see how do you do life according to King Jesus, living under his kingship, living under his rule. And in chapter 6, you've got several options that Jesus is offering, and he's telling his disciples, look, when the Pharisees give to the needy, they do it so that they could be honored among men. But I tell you, they've received their reward, and I tell you, give in such a way so that your Father in heaven will reward you, and you'll receive your reward there. There's an option, how you give to the needy. Either your reward is here on earth because men honor you, or your reward is in heaven. Jesus also gives another option. He's saying, look, the Pharisees, they like to pray in a way so that all men may see how they pray, and men would be impressed with them. And Jesus says, indeed, their reward is paid in full already here on the earth, but pray in such a way so that your Father in heaven would reward you. And then leading up to our text, Jesus talks about fasting and he says, there are those, the Pharisees that love to fast and they put on sackcloth and and they look very glum and very down because they want people to see, oh, look how devoted I am because I'm fasting. And Jesus says, once again, they have already received their reward in full by being honored by men. But I tell you, fast and pray and give to the needy in such a way, not so that you'd be honored among men and get your reward down here on earth, but do it in such a way so that your reward would be from your Father in heaven. And so now we come to chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. I'd like for you to follow along as I read aloud. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we see in this text here that Jesus has presented us three unavoidable choices about how you handle your material possessions, about how you and me, about anybody who's a follower of King Jesus and is living in this kingdom, living in the gospel of the kingdom, how will you then respond when it comes to your possessions? Three crucial questions. In fact, three vital questions have to be answered about your possessions these three questions are, what do you treasure, how do you see, and whom do you serve? Three vital questions that every single one of us has to answer about ourselves if we want to call ourselves children of the king, children of the kingdom of God. What do you treasure, how do you see, and whom do you serve? Well, let's take a look again at verses 19 to 21 of Matthew 6. It says again, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is, is saying here, uh, by using actually the same term for treasure and store, it's like he's almost saying, do not treasure for yourselves treasures. Or in another way, you could say it's store up for yourselves storehouses. And so it's really the same kind of word, your treasure or your storehouse. How are you storing it up? How are you really, I think in modern language, investing? Where is your investment at? Is it on earth or is it in heaven? And he gives us those two options. Two options. Are you investing your material possessions? Are you storing them up? Are you treasuring them here on earth? Or are you treasuring them in heaven? Two options Jesus lays before us. Well, let's look at option one. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's the first option every single one of us have. What does that look like? You treasure your treasures or you store up storehouses here on earth, and what happens to them? That's where moths destroy. Moths destroy. How many of you have a beautiful Christmas wool sweater that you just cannot wait to take out in about a month, right? For some reason, it's been a really cool trend the last couple of years to have these ugly Christmas sweaters, and that's the cool thing to do. But some of them are made of wool, and you've got this beautiful sweater that you put away probably around in February or March because you don't, you don't need it anymore. And right around this time of year, you start pulling it out. And have you ever pulled it out all of a sudden to see, oh my goodness, there's a hole in the sweater, Moths love to eat the wool. And, and back in, in the times of Christ, uh, many of the clothing, and indeed even some of the most expensive clothing, was made of wool. And moths would get in there and they'd eat it up. And Jesus is saying, you store up treasures here on earth. If you have the, even the most elaborate, beautiful wardrobe, it could be susceptible to moths. Even, even the finest wardrobes were not immune. Jesus is addressing our clothing, how we look, what we put on. Don't store up treasures here on earth in your wardrobe. Moths can get to it and eat through it and decay and eat it away. Jesus also says you 
And this first option, if you store up treasures on earth, that's where rust destroys. Where rust, and really that idea is decomposition. It's the eating away of food, corrosion. And it also could mean rust as it's related to metal. But really, that idea of rust is an eating away in the sense of eating away as in rats or mice or worms or vermin that would get into the stored grains that they have. They'd store up grains after the harvest and they'd store it there and the vermin would get in or worms would get in and eat away at their food. Jesus is saying again, whether moths are going to eat through your clothes or if you store up a lot of food or even find precious metals, it's going to rust or vermin are going to get in or worms are going to eat it away. It's going to decay. And then finally, Jesus addresses this first option, storing up treasures on earth, when he says, even if you have the best storehouse, thieves could break in and steal. And that break in is the idea of digging through. And so they had dirt houses and mud houses. And and even after it hardened, even if you thought, okay, I've got all my doors locked, I've got all my windows shut up and locked, the thieves would find a way to dig through the walls of your house to get to your valuables. What Jesus is saying here is that, look, even if you have the most protected place, even if you think that thieves can't break in and dig through and steal your possessions, it's going to be eaten away by moths, it's going to rust, it's going to be eaten by worms, it's going to fade away. That's the first option. It's not a very bright option. But Jesus gives us another option, doesn't he? He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he contrasts the treasures on earth with the treasures in heaven. He says, neither moth nor rust nor destroy. uh, destroy. No decay or wearing out happens in heaven. Heaven is a place where the curse cannot touch our treasures because of death and decay. They're beyond the bounds of decay. Heaven is a place untouched by the curse. Do you want to store up treasures on earth, Jesus is asking? You do it here, it's going to fade away. And even if you have the best preservatives around it, thieves could come in and steal it. And in fact, now Jesus says about heaven, not only is it a place that's untouched by the curse, but even your worst enemies can never get in there. Think about heaven. It's the throne room of God. And we know from the scriptures that that throne room is filled with angels who are praising and worshiping the the Lord. Here in heaven, the second option, thieves do not break in and steal. Treasures here cannot be touched by the enemy. They're kept safe in the throne room of the creator, guarded by God and his angels. There's no way there's any enemy getting into God's throne room to steal the treasures that you store up there. Two options, friends. Two options Jesus gives us. You store up your treasures on the earth. It's going to be eaten away. It's going to decay. It could be stolen by thieves, but you store up your treasures in heaven. And it's beyond the curse. And it's protected right in the throne room of God. When we look at these options, it's no contest. No contest. Where are you investing your treasures? So we're given the command, 
Jesus is saying in the present tense, stop storing up treasures on earth. That's what the people were accustomed to doing. And I would tell you, friends, today, living in our culture, living in such a prosperous, wonderful, blessed country, the temptation for us is that we're going to want to hold on to it tightly and treasure it and store it here on earth. And Jesus is saying it's futile It could fade away. It could be stolen. Why don't you start treasuring it up in heaven where it cannot decay and where it is kept safe in the throne room of God? So Jesus tells us to stop storing it up on earth and start storing it up in heaven. And he gives us the why. He gives us the why this is so important. Look again at verse 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To paraphrase what Jesus is saying, I believe he's saying, what you do with your possessions is more than a material investment. It's a heart investment. What you do with your possessions is well beyond a material investment. It's a heart investment. When I seek to store up my treasures here on earth, I'm investing my heart there. That's where my heart's found. And if it could decay and if it could be stolen, I'm putting my heart at risk. I'm making my heart vulnerable because it could vanish in a moment. But if I store my treasures in heaven beyond the curse, beyond decay, where there are no thieves that could take that, I'm putting my heart's desires in a place that's safer than anywhere on this earth. It's a heart investment. Friends, are you investing your heart in things that are destined to be stripped away? Are you investing your heart instead in what will last and what will be kept secure for all eternity? Listen to what the Apostle Paul was instructing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. I think this shows us the two comparisons here, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Friends, if you want to know, well, how can I store up my treasures in heaven? It's through generous generosity. It's being rich in deeds. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Friends, friends, God did not put money in your hands to store it up and to hoard it and to try and protect it here on this earth. He gave it to you so that you could be generous, that you could give, that you could store up treasures in heaven, so that you could advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, so you could benefit the poor, so that you could benefit the needy, so that you could help your fellow man. And by doing that, you are not wasting your money. You're putting your money in a place that is beyond the curse and that is guarded by God and His holy angels. It's the wisest wisest investment you can make with your money, with your possessions. No comparison, (laughs) no contest. Stop storing up treasures for yourselves here on the earth. Store up treasures in heaven because it's a heart investment. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. What will you do with your treasure? 
What will you do with what God has given to you? There may be some of you today that are struggling financially, and I, I understand that, but many of us, even the poorest of us in the room, compared to the majority of this people on this planet, are so, so rich. We're so rich. What will we do? What will you do with your treasure? According to Jesus, you cannot say that your heart longs for eternal life while in reality you're wrapped up in earthly possessions. Your investments are the path to your heart. Where are you investing the possessions, the money that God has put in your hands? Oh, friends, heed the warning of Jesus. Invest it in what's best. Examine yourselves. I'll examine myself. Does your path stay here on earth? Will it lead to heaven, the path of your investment? Are you setting yourself up for heartbreak by pouring your life into what can be stolen, into what can decay and what can fade away? Or even if you're really good at protecting it, what's going to happen to you when you die? Jesus told the rich fool who said, I'm going to store up treasures on this earth and I'm going to build these amazing storehouses and they're going to be huge and I'm going to put all of my wealth and all of my property in there. And then Jesus said, you fool, today your life is taken from you. Then what will happen? You pass it on to somebody else. You didn't get to even enjoy it. And that rich fool, after into all eternity, he is completely bankrupt. Friends, do not go into eternity bankrupt, but instead, through generosity, through giving, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The first question, again, that we have here is, what do you treasure? Jesus says, treasure what will last. Start treasuring what will last, friends. Invest in heaven beyond the curse of sin and protected next to the throne of God. Invest in his kingdom. This is the divine logic now. This, you gotta, we got to stop thinking like humans, like, like American capitalists, as wonderful and as free as our government and as our, our prosperity is. We've got to stop thinking with the world's logic, and we need divine logic. And divine logic about your possession is this. Treasure the eternal over the temporary. There's nothing wrong with the temporary, but treasure the eternal over the temporary. Any other way is just plain stupidity. Treasure the eternal over the temporary. Friends, Jesus, heed the warning of Jesus. Give it to where it's best. Invest in heaven. What do you treasure? Jesus' answer is, treasure in what is best. Second question that Jesus answers for us in this text is, how do you see? And the answer of Jesus is, keep your vision healthy. Keep your vision healthy. How do you see? How do you look at the material world around you? And in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6, again, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, the eye back in, in, in the Jewish mind back in the first century was this, is that the eye, you could either have a good eye or you could have an evil eye. And the evil eye was a sense of how you looked at things. If it was wicked and if it was evil, it would permeate your whole existence. It would permeate your whole body. In fact, Jesus says it. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. Your worldview, how you view material possessions, 
is related to your possessions. It impacts all of life. It impacts every single aspect of your life. It influences your choices. It influences your moral character. If you have an evil eye toward your possessions that is greedy and selfish and covetous toward your neighbor's possessions, it impacts all of your life. You cannot compartmentalize. You can't put it in a little box and say, I'm just going to be greedy, but then in the rest of my life I'm going to be righteous. It is impossible to do. Jesus says, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Good means that it's simple, it's sincere, it's healthy, it's generous. If your perspective on material possessions is healthy, that will impact your entire life. Your whole body, your entire person will be committed to the Lord. It's what makes you, you, but it starts with the eyes, friends. It starts there. That's where the light enters into your whole existence is how you view the material world. But Jesus says, if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. How many of you in the middle of the night had to get up and you didn't want to disturb your spouse or somebody else in the room? And you try and get across the room and it's dark and maybe you're sleeping at a place that you're not familiar with, like in a hotel room or something like that. I've been there and you don't know the lay of the room really well and you're walking along and all of a sudden, boom, oh man, broke that toe or something, stubbed the toe and you're just crying and weeping and you're trying to do it quietly because again, you don't want to wake up the person in the room. That's what it's like, friends. If we have bad vision about our material possessions. It's like we're walking in the darkness. We cannot see our whole moral character. The choices that we make in life are impacted by how we view our material possessions. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, says Jesus. If you view your possessions in a sinful, selfish way, it will influence your whole person. Therefore, you cannot be a healthy Christ follower if you do not have a healthy perspective about your possessions. I'll repeat that again. You cannot, it's impossible, you cannot be a healthy follower of the Lord Jesus Christ if you do not have a healthy perspective about your possessions. Jesus again says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Friends, if you're looking at your material world with darkness and with an evil eye, you will be a morally dark person. Proverbs 28, 22. It says, a stingy man, and literally in the Hebrew it means a man whose eye is evil. Bad vision. A stingy man is eager to get riches and is unaware that poverty awaits him. An evil eye toward possessions leads to the darkness of spiritual and even literal poverty. Friends, you're walking around in the dark. If you view this world in a selfish and greedy way, you're walking around in the dark. What does a healthy eye then look like? We get a glimpse of that in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says about the good, healthy eye, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Friends, a healthy and content eye is the path to greater godliness. Have the right perspective on your possessions and the material world, and it will impact the rest of your life for good. 
You see your friend and he's being blessed generously and he's, and he's giving away. Don't be covetous of him. It'll cause you to hate him. It's just the path to more and more sin. If you're always greedy for more and more, you, you may even begin to be discontent with your spouse and think, I need more and more and more. It can lead you down the path to immorality. Friends, contentment is the healthy eye. Ask God, Lord, give me contentment. 1 Timothy 6 goes on to talk about the corrupt eye. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. An evil eye leads us into more and more darkness. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pain, uh, griefs. Friends, a sinful perspective on our money and our possessions is the path to greater sin and immorality. So you cannot compartmentalize. You can't put it in just a tiny little box of your life. You cannot compartmentalize greed. Selfishness permeates your entire life. Selfishness permeates your entire life. Friends, that means we've got to fight. <laughs> we've got to fight. If we're children of King Jesus, if we want to follow him, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, if we want to do life God's way, we've got to fight to maintain a healthy perspective about our possessions. Are you content with what God's given you? I don't see anywhere in Scripture that God says it's wrong to improve your standard of living. I do not see that. But where you are today, friends, are you content with what God has given you? Or are you always craving more and more and more for yourself? That leads to even more sin. The whole of your moral being is tied so closely to your perspective on possessions. So let your vision be healthy. Ask God, Lord, give me contentment. Are you experiencing defeat to sin in other areas of your life? Examine how you view possessions. It could expose the greed of your heart. You may be able to trace it back and say, well, I'm struggling in so many areas. I'm discontent. I want more here. I want more there. I want this. I'm angry with my brother friends. It may be a time for us to examine and go back and think, maybe I've just got an evil eye about the world around me and about the things that God has put in my possession. We've got to fight, friends. Protect your eyes. They're the lamp of your whole being, how you view this world, your perspective. Ask God to give you contentment about his provision for what you need. It will lead to contentment about all of your life. Examine your perspective. Keep your vision healthy is what Jesus is telling us. How do you see? Jesus says, keep your vision healthy third question that Jesus addresses is, whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? And Jesus' answer in verse 24 is, serve the right master. Serve the right master. Again, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Jesus goes on to say, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word for serve here, though, is not associated with employment. You could say, I serve my boss or I serve my employer. I come to work, I do my work, I get paid, and I go home. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
He's not talking about employment. He's talking about ownership. He is talking about ownership. Jesus isn't asking, who are you employed to? He's asking, who owns you? Who owns you? Who is your master? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. And that can there, it's not about permission. He's saying, I will not allow you to serve two masters. That's not what he's saying, as important and as valuable as that would be. What he's saying is there, it's in the realm of impossibility. You cannot serve two masters. You don't have the ability. You don't have the power. You don't have the strength to do it. Jesus is saying it's absolutely impossible. You cannot serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And it's believed, according to scholars, that this was kind of a proverb that was contemporary in Jesus' day, saying either you'll hate one side, or you'll love the other side, or you'll, you'll despise this side and be devoted to the other side. Really, it was a proverb to say, you can't have A and B. you got to choose. Pick one. Which one do you want? It's like going up to, you know, the fast food restaurant and you don't know what to get, you know? You're not given the permission to choose multiple. You've got to choose one or the other. I hate that. You go, you go to Cold Stone and ice cream and it's like, I want it all. I want every flavor. But I can't afford every flavor. You've got to choose one. And Jesus is coming to us and he's telling us, who are you going to choose? It's impossible to choose one. So if you choose one, you're going to love or you're going to hate the other. If you love this side, you're going to hate that side. If you're devoted to this side, you're going to despise that side. Pick a side. Either you're clinging or disdaining. Either you're devoted or you're despising. When it comes to these two masters, you will be either on one extreme or the other. You can't sit on the fence when it comes to who owns you. And then Jesus then identifies for us who is who or who are these masters. He goes on to say... You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus finally gets down to brass tacks. He finally gets down to the foundation of the whole matter. Either God is your master or money is your master. Jesus identifies him for us. He, he in fact, he even personifies money as a person or having personhood. as saying that you could serve this person Again, he's emphasizing ability, not permission. So to paraphrase Jesus again, you do not own anything. Again, let me say it. Jesus is telling us you do not own anything. Either God owns you and your money or your money owns you. Now this, you may be thinking to yourself, this is so harsh. This is so harsh. Why can't I just kind of stand in the middle and be neutral and just enjoy my stuff? Leave me alone, Jesus. But he won't allow us to do that. And he won't allow us to do that, not because he doesn't love us, but because he's exposing the lie that we've told ourselves. The money in my wallet is mine. My car is mine. My laptop is mine. My smartphone is mine. The deed to my house, it's mine. That boat that I'm going to take to the lake this weekend, it's mine. Jesus is saying, you've got it all wrong. You don't know anything. Either God owns you and your money, or your money owns you. 
we're often fooled into thinking that just because our names are on our bank accounts, that they're ours. Jesus is confronting that lie, and I'm so thankful that he does. How many of you love to live in a lie? I don't want to live in a lie. I want to live in the truth. Jesus is confronting the lie that we live in and showing us that we're, if we're not owned by God in service and devotion to him, we are owned by our money. Only when we recognize that everything, everything belongs to God, including us, can we be set free from the tyranny of slavery to a love for money. He wants to set you free, friend. He wants to set you free. Maybe you've come in here thinking to yourself, I love God, but don't mess with my stuff, Jesus. What Jesus is telling you today is this. If that's your attitude, you don't own anything, you're living a lie, and you are enslaved to your money. It owns you. In Romans 6.16, Paul writes this about slavery to one or the other to help us get an idea. It says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Friends, you can't remain neutral when it comes to God and sin. And, and I just wanted you to see there in Romans 6 that you've got to make a choice. You are owned by someone. You serve someone. And Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 6, is telling you it's either God or it's money. Who owns you? Who are you serving? You cannot, again, friends, cannot serve. God and money. Oh, I pray that the Lord would give us the right perspective, the right eyes. I want to see clearly. I want to see the things that he's put in my hands. They don't belong to me. I belong to him and they belong to him. Some of you may be sitting in the pews today thinking to yourselves, man, my life has been so hard. I'm always working for the almighty daughter. dollar. It has me stressed out. It's got me full of anxiety. I never feel like I have enough. That's not because you don't have enough of that stuff to own. It's because that stuff owns you. And Jesus wants to set you free today, friends. He wants to set you free. He wants you to do life his way. And he's telling you, serve the right master. Who owns you? Who's your master? Is it money or is it God? Whom do you serve? Who gets your best energy? Who gets your first attention? Jesus is asking the question, but he's commanding you, serve the right master. Friends, doing life God's way means that you serve him and not money. He wants to set you free. So what now? What now? Jesus has given us three important principles. He's shown us the options. We've listened to the questions. Again, what do you treasure? Jesus' answer is treasure what will last. Friends, I I think that if we want to do life God's way, if we want to treasure what will last, something that's kept in heaven for us, it's only logical that we reorganize our finances and repurpose our possessions toward eternity. I'll say it again. If you want to treasure what will last, it's time to reorganize your finances and repurpose your possessions toward eternity. It's the only thing that makes sense to protect your heart and to invest in something that will last forever and not live for this tiny little dot that we call our lives. Friends, guard your heart from a love for the vanishing treasures of this earth. 
If you haven't started yet to learn how to be generous and to start investing in heaven, just like any other investment, start somewhere. Start somewhere. God told the Israelites in the Old Testament, tithe 10% to me. 10% of the first fruits of your offerings, of your crop, bring to me as an offering. Friends, I think that's just the training wheels of what we should be doing to start giving and being generous and treasuring things in heaven. But that's not the goal. The goal should be radical generosity. The goal should be rich in good deeds. Why? Because we're letting go of the temporary things of this earth so that we can invest in what's best, where Jesus is with him, and we can give him glory and enjoy those treasures for all of eternity. If we will treasure what will last, it's time to reorganize our finances and repurpose our possessions toward eternity. Well, Jesus also said about how you see, he said, keep your vision healthy. Friends, I think we need to fight and pray earnestly for contentment. Earnest prayer for contentment. Getting on our knees before we go out and we see all the fancy cars. Getting on our knees before we go out and we see the commercials that fuel our hearts and minds to say, I need more, I need more, I need more. Lord, give me a heart that is content with you because I know these things are passing away and I want to be content with what you've given me. If you're not praying for contentment, friends, you're opening the door. Remember, the eyes are going to be darkened, and it's a floodgate for all other immorality to enter into your life. You'll be walking in darkness. Friends, together, individually, let us pray earnestly for contentment, to ask God for a new perspective. And finally, Jesus answers the question for us, whom do you serve? He said, serve the right master. Friends, brothers and sisters, we've got to stop bowing to the God of money today. Little g, God of money. Stop bowing to the God of money today and give your undivided allegiance to Jesus. Undivided allegiance and devotion to Jesus. When you examine your financial situation, does it overwhelm you with anxiety or envy? This could be an indicator that you're owned and enslaved by the God of money. The God of money is a harsh slave owner, but friends, the good news of the kingdom is that the gospel sets us free from slavery to Satan, to the world, and to our fleshly desires. Jesus sets us free from slavery to the God of money. Turn to the one true God. He offers peace in place of anxiety. He replaces envy with contentment. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're here today and you thought to yourself, I have forever been a slave to the things of this world. I know that I'm a slave to the God of money. Jesus has pulled back the facade. He's pulled back the curtain in your heart and your mind, and you realize, I don't want to be a slave to the God of this world and the God of money any longer. The gospel of Jesus Christ will set you free. It'll set you free. Treasure what will last. Keep your vision healthy and serve the right master. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that Jesus doesn't beat around the bush about our possessions. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't try and cushion the blow. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. Where do we treasure our treasures, on earth or in heaven? How do we see? Are we seeing with an evil eye or do we see with healthy vision? And who are we serving Thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to show me that the money I have in my wallet is not mine. 
It is yours, and I do not want to be enslaved to it, Father. Set us free to serve Jesus in freedom and to use the money that you put in our hands for eternal purposes. Father, as we go now from this place, we've celebrated you. We've called out to you through prayer. We've heard Jesus preach to us in our hearts and our minds from Matthew chapter 6. And I pray that as we go now, Father, that we would not just be Christians here in this building on Sundays, but that we would go and we will treasure what's eternal. We will have healthy vision and that we would go serving the right God today, Monday through Saturday, that the world may see that we serve a different God than the God of this world. Help us now, Father, as we go. We submit ourselves to you, the Lordship of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, if there's some of you here today that your God is moving in your hearts, you're wrestling with this, and you want to know that you're serving the right God, or you want to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, we'll have pastors and elders and deacons here that can speak with you. Thank you so much. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful week.